Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Mark, and glad to be leading you in the Word of God this morning. Good to sing with you this morning. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to do that. In the first service, if you were, well, you wouldn't hear, you were here at the second service, but in the first service, something, something funny happened with either the computer or the connection, and uh, singing in the first service was like singing to a broken intermittent wiper motor. The words were there, then they weren't. They were there, they weren't. You weren't never quite sure. And so that was quite a distraction, as you might imagine. And uh, we're, we're an easily distracted people. And so let's take a moment and just ask for God's direction in this time of the service that we might actually sustain our concentration and focus on the Lord. So let's, uh, let's do that as we begin. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning uh, again with glad and grateful hearts for all that you've done for us in Christ, and uh, grateful that through him we draw near and find grace and mercy and help in our time of need. Father, we, uh, we come before you now and we ask, because we have need, just to keep our minds on you and on your word, even through this brief period of time where we focus upon it. So we ask for that kind of grace to us this morning, uh, a sustained concentration and attention to you and to your word and what it has for us today. And uh, we, we know that you're able to do beyond what we ask or imagine. We're grateful for that, but we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 5, or I should say return with me to Mark chapter 5. Pastor Ian read it earlier in the service. It is the, the text for this morning. Uh, we find in Mark chapter 5, as you read it this past week and as we reread it in the service, that the biblical text turns from the teaching of Jesus, which we found in Mark chapter 4, which was last week, but the biblical text turns from the teaching of Jesus to the activity of Jesus, which we've begun to observe as we've made our way through Mark's gospel. As you read Mark chapter 5, the activity of Jesus revealed in the chapter is quite dramatic and very powerful. In chapter 5, we read Jesus encounters a demon-possessed man and a diseased woman and a desperate dad with a dead daughter. How's that for all Ds? If you're taking notes, you can put that down. A demon-possessed man, a diseased woman, a desperate dad, and a dead daughter. While all three of these are unique experiences, unique encounters and episodes with Jesus Christ, they do share something in common. All three of them are desperate situations. In all three situations, all the potential treatment options have been explored, expended, and proven to be ineffective. Uh, think with me through these encounters, the demon-possessed man, the diseased woman, and the desperate dad with the dead daughter. Uh, the demon-possessed man had been, according to the text, according to the very first paragraph of chapter 5, he had been repeatedly bound and shackled and chained down, all in an effort to restrain him, all in an effort to subdue him. But all human effort and every measure taken had been a failure. They could not subdue this man. And so the man lived in isolation, and he would harm himself instead of harming others. All treatment options for him has failed. Nothing has worked. He lives in a cemetery all alone. How dreadful. How horrific. Well, the diseased woman. Uh, we read in the next paragraph that the diseased woman had lived for more than a decade, 12 years it says, with perpetual bleeding. And even for her, there was no remedy. There was no relief. It's interesting as we read this text, uh, the description of her in the biblical text is a little bit comical to modern readers. It says in verse 26... She had suffered much under the care of many physicians. She spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. That kind of sounds like modern medicine. Suffered, lots of physicians, spent everything, no better, grew worse. Uh, we encounter this woman and we come to understand that beyond being weak and anemic and fragile, 
Uh, She would have been ceremonially unclean from her constant bleeding. So cut off from the religious community. She would have been socially socially isolated and cut off from all culture and common living. Uh, Just like the demoniac who lived all alone, she too would be living in her isolation. Both of them are in very bad shape. Uh, This diseased woman, her life situation was horrible and all treatment had been a failure. Traditional treatment, non-traditional treatment, homeopathic remedies, experimental treatments, and every piece of personal advice that had ever been given to her, none of it worked. All of it was a failure. And then finally, the desperate dad and the dead daughter. This is another dire case without any remedy. Uh, The dad comes to Jesus with an emotional and an anxious plea to come and heal his daughter, who is, according to the text, near death. And Jesus goes. Jesus goes with her. And yet, he gets delayed by the mob that is surrounding him and the woman who touches him, and the little girl's condition grows even worse. According to the text, the girl dies. She expires. She passes. Life has ended for her, and from all human perspective, all hope was lost for the mom and dad. So we read these three encounters of the demon-possessed man, the diseased woman, and then the desperate dad and the dead daughter, and we're like, all these share in common. They are very desperate, and there's no remedy. There's no cure. There's no fix here. And yet, from these desperate situations, all three of them come to Jesus. And interestingly, they all bow down before Jesus. All of them fall on their face before Jesus in in acknowledgement of worship and recognition of who Jesus is. They come to Jesus. They bow down before Jesus. They publicly confess their critical condition and urgent need. And all three of them receive from Jesus God's immeasurable mercy, grace, and help. Remarkable. Let's walk back through these three experiences. The man under the influence of demons. Jesus crosses the the, the lake on a boat, and they moor the boat to the shore, and Jesus gets out of the boat, and this demoniac, demon-possessed man, comes to Jesus and falls down on his face before Jesus and expresses and confesses his condition, which is horrible, and we know the encounter. By the grace of God, he is delivered, he is set free and made right. Matter of fact, in the text, it says he was clothed and in his right mind. Uh, This encounter is recorded in uh, Matthew's gospel, also in Luke's gospel. If you read Luke's gospel, you'd come to understand that this man would go around naked. But now he's clothed and he's in his right mind. What a deliverance, what what great freedom. The only wrong-minded people in the text are the ones who request Jesus to leave. They're the messed up ones. Interestingly, the the, the healing of the demoniac reveals the actual brokenness of the townspeople. Uh, The demoniac begs to be liberated from his uh, his oppression, and he's liberated. The townspeople beg Jesus to leave, and Jesus leaves. How tragic. Uh, The townspeople are not interested in the strong man. You remember the strong man from chapter 3, verse 27? Jesus is the strong man. And they're not interested in the strong man who holds such power living among them. Why? Is it just because they lost 2,000 pigs and it really destroyed the economy? Maybe, but I doubt it. Uh, This strong man, they don't want want this strong man to mess with their lives. Uh, They've just seen what he did to the man ruled by thousands of demons, and, and they don't want him messing with their life. He's way too dangerous. Uh, they want to determine their own destiny. They, they'll manage their own demons. They got life under control. I mean, their life is a bit messy, but they got it under, they got it under management. They got it under control. We don't want this strong man here. Jesus has got to go. They're the messed up ones. 
The man released from the demons, he's in his right mind. These guys are wrong-minded. And asking Jesus to leave, they reveal their own fragility, their own fear, their own inferiorities. But in much grace, Jesus leaves them a witness, a new man who's been set free. Jesus can't be there. They don't want him there. But the man set free can live among them. And he can share with them what Jesus has done for him. Uh, moving on, the diseased woman, like the, the demoniac, she, she comes to Jesus, but she comes to Jesus a little bit different. She comes to Jesus privately, secretly. She also comes a little bit superstitiously. She comes to Jesus to be healed, and she is healed. How is she healed? Not by touching him. She wasn't healed by the garments, and she wasn't healed by magic. No, she comes to Jesus in order to be healed by Jesus, and Jesus heals her. And according to Jesus, her faith was the condition that puts her right. Jesus says that. Uh, faith accompanied by actions is a living faith. Faith without action is dead, according to James chapter 2. This woman believes, believes that Jesus can heal. She's wrongly notioned that, you know, if she just touches him, maybe she'll get a, a healing from him. It's kind of like you're going over to Jerusalem and they have all these little shops that sell all sorts of trinkets. And, you know, they, they, for 2,000 years, they've been selling little splinters of Jesus' cross. That must be a really big cross. And they all got a little drip of blood on it. And, and boy, if I get one of those and I can bring it home, maybe I can use it to... This woman knows that Jesus can heal. She thinks maybe the touch of a garment can heal her. Now, she's not healed by touch or by garment. She's healed by Jesus. And Jesus says, your faith has moved you to come, and by her faith she was healed, just like the paralytic and his four friends in Mark chapter 2. But here in this encounter, at the touch of his garment, Jesus knows that power has left him, which is interesting. He's, he, he's, uh, he's like a celebrity, and there's uh, multitudes of people around him, all sorts of people touching him, but he knows something unique has happened. Someone has touched him for a healing. Power has left him. He doesn't know who it is, and he seeks out the woman. He seeks her out not for himself, but for her sake. He seeks out the woman for her good, to make her private faith public faith, to make her private action a public record, <laughs> one that we read about. She believed in her heart. Jesus gave her an opportunity to confess with her mouth, and her faith was affirmed, and her faith was informed by Jesus. It wasn't the touch that healed her. Jesus healed her, and her faith connected her to Jesus so her faith was informed and the crowd was educated. That whole stopping the crowd and finding her, it was for her. And the woman confesses her faith and Jesus expresses the truth. And he says to her in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So the demoniac comes to Jesus and falls down and is liberated. The, the, the diseased woman experiences the same. Finally, the desperate dad, he too comes to Jesus. And he's a synagogue ruler, but he bows down before Jesus, which is remarkable. Uh, this synagogue ruler is, is unique among the religious leaders. He actually comes to Jesus for help. We've read already in Mark's gospel, most of the religious leaders have already rejected Jesus, denied him, called him a blasphemer, a one who discredits God by claiming to be God. Well, this one is unique. He, he comes to Jesus because he's in a desperate situation. And he comes to Jesus and he bows down before Jesus and he makes this humble request. He says, Jesus, come and heal my daughter. He comes in faith but he also comes with an anxious heart. His daughter is at the point of death. This is, this is the worst. This would be terrible. You, you've, you've sought all medical treatment, you've sought all options, and now your daughter is at the point of death. And he comes to Jesus. 
Unlike the Roman centurion that we read about in Luke's gospel, who believed Jesus can speak and heal at a distance, uh, this, this synagogue ruler believes Jesus has to get to her. It has to be in close proximity. It has to touch her for his daughter to be healed. Also, a little bit of superstitious faith here, too. Jesus got to come and lay his hands, and then she'll be healed. Well, Jesus plays the game, and Jesus goes along. But as Jesus is going along to this synagogue ruler's house, Jesus gets delayed. Jesus' delay with the, with the woman with the chronic condition creates a real disaster for the child with the acute condition. I mean, this woman has lived with this bleeding for 12 years. You think she could go a few more hours? You think maybe that could wait? Because we got a child here that's near death. Uh, Jesus delays because of the woman who has the chronic condition, and a real disaster happens for the child with the acute condition, the child dies. And I read this passage, and I'm like, does Jesus not know how to do triage? Does Jesus not know how to take the more serious and urgent cases first and deal with the secondary cases later? I wonder how Jairus was doing. You know, we who grew up in the church, we have such a flannel graph picture of this, like, oh, here's, here's Jairus just waiting on the sidelines. I doubt it. He's probably like, hey, it's not far. Can we get back to this? Can you come heal my daughter, like, now? Jesus stops to educate the faith of the healed woman, and the child dies. And the synagogue's ruler, the friends show up, and they say, it's too late. Too late. It's been too long. She's dead. No need to bother the teacher any longer. You know, we got funeral preparations to make now. We got other things to attend to. It's too late. And Jesus, as we read in the text, takes the man's faith that's now severely tested and says, do not be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid. Keep believing. And Jesus encourages this man's faith. And as we read in the text, Jesus takes the dad and the mom and Peter and James and John, and he, he goes into where the dead daughter is, and he wakes her up. Like waking a little girl up on a Saturday morning to go out and get IHOP breakfast. You know, wake up, little girl. He raises the dead. And the dad and the daughter and the mom and the disciples, they got more than they imagined. So here we have these three encounters. Demon-possessed man, the diseased woman, the desperate dad, the dead daughter, all of them desperate cases. All of them go to Jesus, bow to Jesus, worship Jesus, request of Jesus, and experience immeasurable mercy and grace and help. We've walked through the text enough. Now let's get into the message for this morning. And I think there's a primary message to these encounters, and it has to do with Jesus' authority and power and the revelation that he is God's appointed king of God's kingdom and the new representative head for all of humanity. He, he, Jesus is powerful, and that's the primary message. But let's put a little pin in that. We'll circle back around to that later. I have a couple of secondary messages that I'd like to give to you this morning. So can you bear with a, a few messages this morning? Let me give you a couple of secondary messages. First... In all of these encounters, there's a real opportunity for disappointment with God. Now, we read these, and we read about the demoniac being liberated, and the diseased woman being healed, and the dead daughter being raised to life. That's very celebrative. That's like hallelujah. That's, that's, those are huge, huge deliverances, huge freedoms, uh, huge actions that God takes. And th these would be celebrative moments. But I, but I look in these counters and I, I see there's a real opportunity for disappointment with God. Uh, bear with me for a moment. 
the man who is freed from his demons, when he is freed and the townspeople come out and say, no, Jesus has got to go, this man wants to go with Jesus and be one of his disciples. And Jesus says, what? No. No, you can't go. How do you like that? The demons got what they asked for. The demons asked to not be sent out out of the region. They asked to be sent into the pigs, and Jesus gives them permission. The townspeople, they got what they asked for. Townspeople come out and say, Jesus, you got to go. We don't want you here. Way too dangerous. No strong man living here. You've got to go. And Jesus gives them what they want. And the man who's been released says, hey, Jesus, let me go with you and be one of your disciples. And Jesus says, no, not happening. You get to stay home. How do you like that? How do you like it when God doesn't answer your requests the way you want him to? Any of you ever had that experience? I would dare say all of us have had that experience. God only uses those whom he deeply wounds. Uh, Secondly, the woman comes to Jesus privately. She's not like the demoniac who comes running at Jesus, screaming. No, she just mingles in the crowd, just wants to get to Jesus to touch him, to be healed. She comes to him privately, secretly, quietly, and she got what she wanted. She got what she needed. Jesus healed her. Hallelujah. But in the context, Jesus seeks her out, stops the crowd, seeks her out, calls her out, makes her a spectacle. Called out by Jesus, she now has to tell everyone her condition. Well, how do you like that? You like your privacy being exposed? She now gets to tell everyone about her condition, about her desperate need, and even about her healing. Like the woman at the well, I believe she wasn't looking for publicity. She wasn't wanting to be made a spectacle. She probably hated public speaking. And here she is now speaking in front of a mob of people, telling her story. How do you like that? Jesus stops the crowd, seeks her out, makes her a public example. Have you ever been disappointed? When God thrust you into situations and into positions that you didn't want to be in? I don't want to be here. I don't want to be saying this. I don't want to be doing this. Third, uh, we hit on the fact that Jesus' delay with the diseased woman creates a situation where the undesired thing happened, the daughter dies. The synagogue ruler came to Jesus to have his daughter healed, and that, that, that's great, and Jesus goes along to heal the daughter, but on the way, things get stymied, waylaid, delayed for no good reason, really. Have you ever had disappointment with God's delays? God sometimes says yes, and God sometimes says no, and God sometimes takes longer than you want. Last one. Peter, James, and John, they get to go with the mom and the dad into the daughter's room where Jesus raises her from the dead. Wow, that's a big deal. When I read in my Bible, there is 12 disciples. Why did those three get chosen? What happened to the other nine? They're all in that crowd. They're all going to the synagogue ruler's house, and Jesus is going to go in the room with mom and dad and Peter, James, and John. What? How would you like to be one of the nine? And you just get to hear about it. You don't get to see it. You don't get the experience. Nope, you got to wait outside. Wait at the driveway if you would. 
How do you like that? Do you ever get disappointed when others get in on something special and you seem to always miss out? Oh, God's doing something great over there with those four people, but I just get to hear about it. How do you like that? In my study this past week, as I was reading through these texts, as you were, I ran across a statement made by Pastor Tim Keller. I'm going to paraphrase it, modify it a little bit for this morning's message. But here's the statement that he made. Here's the point of this first secondary message. He said this, if you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at, if you have a God great enough and powerful enough to be mad at and to be disappointed with because he doesn't do as you expected, you also have a God who's great enough and powerful enough to have reasons that you can't understand. The little child doesn't always understand why the parents say no. And the little child doesn't always understand when the parents say, no, you have to wait a while, or it's not your turn, it's your brother's turn, it's your sister's turn. The little child doesn't always understand why they're asked to do things they don't want to do, required to do them, or kept from doing things they do want to do. But we understand this. The older, mature, wiser parent knows how to bring up the child the way they should go, and they will direct the child accordingly. We read here, God sometimes says yes, and God sometimes says no. And sometimes he acts slower than we want him to, and he often puts us in situations that are outside of our control and our abilities and our desires, and we're often not the chosen ones. Sometimes we miss out on the experiences of blessing and trial that others go through. But we know from Romans chapter 8, God always works for the good of those who love him. God works for the good of those who love him always, every time, and he does this to grow and develop and stretch and mature our faith because he has eternity in view, something far bigger than what we see. He's conforming us in our unique personality and temperament and agency. He's conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, and it's a work that he began, and he's going to carry it on to completion. He'll bring it to a flourishing finish, and he's going to do it. And he'll take us through a variety of experiences, and sometimes he'll say yes, and sometimes he'll say no, and sometimes he'll say wait, and sometimes it's not for you. And we'll be disappointed, but we have a God big enough, big enough, and powerful enough to have reasons that we don't understand all the time. And I've learned and I'm learning, I've learned and I'm continuing to learn that I can actually trust God in mystery. There's going to be a lot of times I just don't have an answer, but I can trust him because I know who he is and I know his character and I know he always works for the good of those who love him so I can lean on him. That's the first secondary message. Second secondary message. You still with me? We pick up Mark chapter 5, and we read about these three encounters, the demoniac, the diseased woman, the desperate dad, dead daughter. And uh, as we read this, if we're thinking it through and and meditate on it a while, we understand from Mark chapter 5, we're looking at ourselves in the mirror. In Mark 5, we see a man under the influence of evil, We see a man, a woman who is corrupted and sickened by sin, and we read about a child who dies as a consequence of the fall. And this really speaks to every one of us. We've all been raised under the influence of evil. I understand the demoniac. He's quite a severe case. Thousands of of, of demons living in that man. And he's he's, he's liberated and he's free. Jesus does that work in him. (laughs) But as I said, the real messed up people are the townspeople thinking they can manage their demons. They can manage their life. They can do without the strong man. 
not thinking they're too under the domain of evil. We've all been raised under the influence of evil. When we were little children, no one had to teach us how to lie, cheat, and steal, to be jealous, envious, selfish, and unrighteous. <laughs> no, those were quite natural to us because we were born under that dominion. And we needed to be rescued from that evil. And we were rescued from that evil when we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed it. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, it says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from where? He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's Colossians chapter 1. Uh, not only have we been raised under the influence of evil, but we've all been corrupted and sickened by sin. Uh, Titus chapter 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works that we've done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Not only have we all been raised under the influence of evil, but we've all been corrupted by sin. Just like the woman had been corrupted and dealt with an incurable disease. Finally, we've all been like the dying girl, born as slaves to death. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you were dead. How dead is dead? Dead's dead. And it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Not by works, not by human effort, but by the grace of God. We heard a message about Jesus Christ who died for sin, rose again for eternal life, to an indestructible life, was ascended in glory, is returning again. We, we heard the gospel and we fled to Jesus and we bowed before him and we received him as Savior and we were, we were liberated, set free, set free from the domain of darkness, set free from the corruption of sin, set free from death, having been given by Jesus Christ his life, an indestructible life. So Mark chapter 5 is a good look at ourselves, a good look in the mirror, and a good look at our condition before and after Jesus Christ. Well, those are secondary messages. But as I said earlier, the primary message, I believe if we stood back and reread Mark chapter 5, the primary message that stands out to us is Jesus has authority and he has power. He has authority and power over demons. He has authority and power over disease. He has authority and power over death. Truly, Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, and he is the eternal hope for all mankind. That's really the message of Mark chapter 5. Jesus has power over demons, over disease, over death. He has power. He has authority. If we went back one paragraph in our scripture, uh, we were in Mark chapter 4 last week. If we went back to the last paragraph of Mark chapter 4, we would be reminded of Jesus standing on a boat and commanding the wind and the waves and the sea. And we could expand our message and say, Jesus is the ruler, the powerful ruler over nature, evil, illness, and death. He truly is the promised deliverer that we needed. He is the king of God's kingdom, and he's the new representative head for all humanity. And those who trust in him are brought into his victory. And, oh, praise be to God. He truly is the promised deliverer that the world was waiting for and is waiting for again. We can't wait for his return. And so we read a passage like this and we pray, return, Lord Jesus. 
End all evil. Establish your kingdom on earth. Come, Lord Jesus, rule the earth with your redeemed and restored people. Consummate our salvation. Complete our sanctification. Reveal your glory and reward your people. Come, Lord Jesus. Mark's gospel reveals to us that Jesus has all power and all authority. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, and the promised rescuer that was promised that we needed that came you know, we're going we're gonna to conclude our service in just a moment appropriately around the Lord's table remembering Jesus Christ. But if you want to stay in this lane with Mark chapter 5, the one who has all power humbled himself to death. The one who has all power humbles himself to death. And he does that for you and me. The one who commands demons, cures the incurable, causes the dead to live again, he takes on a body. And he's broken for us, and his blood is poured out for us. The one who has the power to raise the dead dies. The one who can take a little girl by the hand and say, Talakumi, wake up, little girl. The one who has that power, he dies. He dies intentionally, he dies purposely, he dies for our sin, he dies in our place. What our sins had earned, Jesus took. And then with all power, he's raised from the dead to an indestructible life. What a, what a substitute, what a savior. We gather around this table and we, re, we remember and we rejoice. And we celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who have acknowledged your desperate condition, like the demoniac, like the diseased woman, like the desperate dad, for those of you who have recognized the fact that you were raised under the domain of evil, sold as a slave to death, and you've fled to Jesus and received him as your savior and been brought, planted into his kingdom, made his son or daughter, this table is for you and for me to remember Jesus. His body broken for us, his blood poured out for our sin. And so I'll, I'll invite you to come in just a moment to come forward and receive the cups as we dis distribute them and, and uh, take them both together in the bottom cup is the bread and then return to your seat and we'll remember Jesus Christ through the celebration of this table this morning. Let me close with a word of prayer and as I do, if the gentlemen who are helping distribute the elements this morning would come forward. I would appreciate that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we gladly come to you this morning. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your record of what you have done in and through the person of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you are. Father, we thank you that we can trust you in mystery. We can trust you with what you've revealed concerning yourself. We can trust specifically your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we gather around this table to remember him his body broken for us, cut off from you for our sin. We remember his resurrection, his power and victory and your vindication of his obedience, your vindication of him. We thank you that he was raised to an indestructible life, able to give life and eternal life to all who come to you through him. Father, we thank you that he is returning. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come, come soon. Complete our salvation finish our sanctification, reward your people, be revealed, be glorified. Father, we gather around this table and we partake of these elements until Jesus returns and gladly remember your grace to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.